Hello and welcome to the Carbitrage Podcast, episode 255. I am Eric Berger, joined as always by my co-host Ryan Sinitsky. Hello. How is the studio the hottest place on earth? It was 65 degrees Fahrenheit this morning. I, mean, I opened it, the it door four like hours ago, and it has still got to be 85. No, right it's it feels like it's a, probably about 70-ish, but it's like a thousand percent humidity. It says 70 with a dew point of 69. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, we so also, humid. <laughs> we also have a guest with us again who has been on the show before, Dan Balto. Hello. Hey, good to see you guys again. So last time we had you on was probably up of two years ago, something like that? Pre-pandemic, certainly. I'm going to say 2019. Cool. Well, your app went... I was going to say, now you're probably representing Carmunity, not MNCEC. Uh, And that's probably one of the biggest changes. You know, yes, but also no. I've been pulled out of retirement as our current president is on holiday with... uh, Mr. Tam? Yes. With Elton. Uh, Literally on holiday. Sir Elton John, With Sir Elton John, yeah. Because that's what Yellow you do road. when you're Tam, is you have your car, you drive your Miata with your face on it. Correct. And then you go on holiday with Elton John. Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John. He yes. has been knighted. He's, he's with Elton John on tour. He like, is. Literally in real life. So actual Elton cool. John, actual tour in the United States. Yeah, we're not, we're not exaggerating or joking. It's very cool. Yeah. No, that, that's how Tam do. So, oh my goodness. Welcome to chat, Katie. All right. Uh, before we dig into topics with Dan and Ryan, I briefly want to touch on beer. We're actually drinking something good right now. New Galaris, yeah. Yep, Spotted Cow. Uh, we will not be drinking good beer next episode because I am pretty much all out of beer down here. I don't understand the existence of Budweiser. Dan's hydrating, looks yeah, like. Yeah. Dan, Dan is hydrating. That is the same 24-pack of Budweiser that has been here the How entire time. How much did time. that cost you? I don't know. So. Was it more? It was left in my unit, but it is still beer. Because right, this is my thing. Budweiser is not good. Nobody drinks Budweiser going, this is delicious. People just drink this, okay, this is and beer. Yes, correct. But Ham's does all of that better. It is objectively good. It is $13 for a 30-pack mm-hmm. at Target. I, I buy Ham's. Yeah, it's much better than... I this mean, isn't beer I bought. That, that was actually my entire sales pitch. It's okay. just 13 bucks That's and it's fine. good. And it's... Budweiser is not good and not $13. And you get more beers with the Ham's, too. Yes, you get way more beers... And they're actually good. They're very palatable. They're really good. I really love them. Budweiser sucks. Anyway, anyway New Glarus is great, but the, you have to go to Wisconsin to get it. Yeah, but I live like 11 minutes from there, so it's really not a big deal. This is the thing. Since they've put traffic, or since they've been like working on the 9435E interchange, mm-hmm. it has made it no longer fun to go to Wisconsin for me. I have to drive through that. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're on just the other side of that traffic. I am not anymore. My exit's closed. I have to oh, take no. Cayuga and drive through oh, St. Paul. Oh, that's bad. That's terrible. It's been fine. I mean, I've been well to go to to go to Wisconsin. That's east of downtown. Oh, sorry. That's yes. what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, I thought you, you meant take, just to you work. take to go on 94 East. And yeah, that's much. much uh, Ham's is good. Chat. Ham's yes. is good. Spotted Cow is also good. Yeah, but yeah, Spotted Cow is fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, well, cheers to that. It's worth the drive. It is. And I don't even think I had to drive for this. I think somebody who came up to the last LAN party, or maybe it was the MNDQ Carbitrage. Anyway, somebody brought it, and I just paid them for it. So Perfect, yes. Hand delivered. Uh, before we dig into my first topic, I briefly want to reference our Patreon page for those who feel like supporting the show. Patreon.com forward slash Carbitrage. On this webpage, you will find two open-ended levels of support, starting at a buck fifty a month, just to help us pay hosting fees and to buy some booze. So if you'd like to, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Carbitrage. If not... Totally fine. We'll keep right on recording. So we have talked about a lot of Hyundai Kia lately, and I really think the chord that they've struck with us most has been like that Hyundai Pony retro car with the, yes. the, the really pixelated rear end. Yeah, they're leaning on their classic Gijaro designs. Well, they're doing it again Ooh, with yeah, you're about. the N Vision. <laughs> so I'm trying to make it load here. Let's see what happens. Come on. Um, but. Speaking of Hyundai, while go. it's loading. Yeah, we got it. This thing is That's really good. stunning. And what it is, it's a rear-wheel drive EV that looks like a Group B rally car mixed with cyberpunk. And then it also has a hydrogen fuel cell under the hood huh. to generate more power. And exhaust nut. Yes. Which is cool. It is very cool. And everything I read and listen to about Hyundai N-Division, like, their priorities have been the same 
for much longer than electrification has been commonplace in like the actual consumer car market. Yeah. So the fact that they are not putting an N, you know, branded Ionic Five or Six on the road, or even creating a prototype, something like this, fueled by the N division that doesn't have. You know, they're, they're cornering prowess. I, I can't even remember the term they use. Yeah. But it's like, it's seriously like happy handling or something like that. Like, it needs to be fun in the corners. Yeah. It's it a, needs to be racetrack ready. And, like, there's just three principles that make a car yeah. good. They, it's something it, a yeah, 911 they're, they're doesn't they're do. They're making what an M car is supposed to Correct. be. Correct. Yep. Which, 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 and used and, to be. And this right after M. And now, oh. <laughs> I wonder if and that's. It, no, it's because of Nurburgring. Okay. But I also love that. I feel <laughs> like that, that's a very, very good. Because Hyundai and Kia poached all the German talent from Germany. Yep. That's like Germany doesn't make anything good anymore. Because they I all. Remember, yeah, they pulled all the performance people from M, and then they took the styling division out of Audi. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll just go over to Hyundai and Kia. And they took a bunch of Porsche people as well, if I'm not mistaken. They probably did. I didn't well, pay Por- Porsche was the Audi people, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The True. same people. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. They literally just gutted Germany and they just put them into Korean cars. But and they're very cool. They're very good, and they're really leaning on the Jacharo design, which I love. Yep. And um, I have another link in here which has the original concept car, which I thought was really cool. Too. Oh yes, the original '74 uh, pony. If I can get it to open this time, we'll see. You know, the actual production pony did not look anything like the concept, but. Was actually kind of a cool car. The other pony car. So this, I mean, yeah, it looks a little dated, but 1974, I think yeah, that's when this. 74, 75. Yeah, that would have looked out of this world futuristic. Well, yeah, the Countach should come out a year prior. Right. And then Hyundai is like, oh, hey, we do this. We can do like a cheaper family-friendly Countach. Yeah. And just. Well, the, the production version of that car um, was much more utilitarian in style. But if you just Google, like, 1975 Hyundai Pony, mm-hmm. for a 1975 compact car, it looks objectively good. It like, did a better job pulling styling cues than a modern concept car does by a huge margin. Certainly oh, yeah. agreed, though it does look like a overweight DeLorean. It's well, kind of it's a little it, bloated. Yeah, yeah. it's it, the it, irony except being, for the fact that it weighs way less than that. I was yeah. going to say, the irony being that DeLorean was insanely heavy because of its exoskeleton of... Uh, Stainless steel. Yep. But yeah, these uh, 70s Hyundais, like, they were based off Mitsubishi platforms with, like, cool bodywork. And so, like, you could, like, people could totally lower these and stuff. And, like, I mean, look make at the slotted cool... mags, man. Yeah. Well, if, if you just Google, like, I would recommend just Googling 1975 Hyundai Pony to yeah. see the production version. Because Dan and I are looking at the production version. Yeah, the yellow one definitely reminds me of that uh, 79 Lancer that I yeah. saw. Yeah, it, it uh, it's it's a really just like a '70s Mitsubishi product, and it doesn't look bad. Like I would say that in the best way, because you have to understand this point in time, about every car was about as plug ugly as you could get, yep. and this I actually enjoy the styling of. So it's very cool. Yeah, like a larger AMC Gremlin, right? It's more like I would say like it's what a Chevette wanted to be, mm. like a Chevette if like. If a Chevette was actually designed by a designer, mm. that's what it that's what it looks like. I think instead of being it. designed to drive with one wheel missing, uh, Wait, is that actually no? True? That was the citation. Oh, that was the okay. citation. But the Chevette was the Chevette was actually a very cool Japanese design. I think we've talked about it here a million times. The, uh, the Suzuki if Gemini it's come up or once, the Isuzu Gemini come yeah. up before here. Yeah, we've talked about Isuzu many times and how great they are. But, like, the Chevette in Japan was cool, but, like, when they just brought it to America, they did not care what it looked like at all. <laughs> no, they just wanted and car. Yeah, it's just, this is car. You have car. Um, speaking but, of weird car design stuff, you know the the Z32 sure 300 ZX? Yeah, that's the one I prefer. The one you prefer. Um, you know that's got a really low drag coefficient of mm-hmm. point, uh, zero three one, And I think it's just point three one. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, sorry. It is. It is point three one, not zero three one. I was a type. That would be Damn. impressive. That'd be nothing. Point <laughs> zero three one is the um, EV one. Like they actually had a 
Damn. Yeah, it was really low. <laughs> small frontal area, too. I was thinking, so. like, you know, land speed record car or something like that. Well, that's the thing. The EV1 is very similar. Because if you actually look at the EV1, like, there's nothing that, like, gets in the way. There's no grill. There's no windshield wipers. They don't even have trim on the windshield. Like. I do like the charging wafer. Yeah. I was going to say, a lot of it's about just, like, cross-sectional area, though. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the Z31, the one I like more, the yes. 80s car, actually a lower drag coefficient? I did not know it's that. Point, uh, three versus it, point three one. Uh, was it um, the, the Zenki Kuki or both? Both. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't did. make any difference. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at it, the Zenki and the Kuki, really they still have the weird headlight thing going on. But I just think it's very interesting that that car had a lower drag coefficient. Yeah, the, the car that looks like it was designed exclusively with a ruler is more aerodynamic looks, than one that was designed in CAD. It, it, you know, that's the thing is, a lot of 80s cars are wrongfully told, like, people say, oh, it's unaerodynamic because it's square. Well, bricks are actually very aerodynamic. Are they? Yeah, actually. The bricks have surprisingly... Is that why buses sort of work? Yeah. Bricks are... A brick is more aerodynamic than a Countach. <laughs> I, I refuse to understand why that's the case, but I do accept because that it is the case. Because if you think about the, the number of faces on a Countach, yeah. that actually expands the amount of area that is getting touched by air. Turbulent air. Turbulent air. Yeah. Whereas a brick, you just have the square footage of the front end. Hmm. But if you have a car that's actually canted back like that, and if you think on a Countach, you have those weird like side windows between the doors and the windshield yeah. that kind of go like this... All of them have trim around them. You have pop-up headlights. You have scoops everywhere. There's everything in the world that catches air on a Countach. <laughs> That's like Countaches have like a drag coefficient of like 0. .6. Oh my goodness. <laughs> They're really bad. But um, <laughs> the thing is with 80s, like actual 80s cars, is they couldn't... It was very expensive to make power in the 80s. Okay. So to make a car actually go fast, you had to make it be efficient. That's why fuel injection happened in the 80s, and that's why you had active suspension in the 80s and things like that, mm-hmm. or like active aero. So when you're at like low speed where you, know, you don't need the aerodynamics, it wouldn't be there getting in the way, but if you're at high speed, it would, the aerodynamics would start being a thing. Sure. But, um, so cars like the, the Subaru XT6, <laughs> like the most painfully bo- like blocky vehicle in the world. I watched the Camisa piece on that, and I couldn't believe. I mean, it was actually it's really a very, interesting. very interesting car. Um, but it has got a really low drag coefficient. It does. It's like point two nine or something. Uh, I'm going to Google it real quick. But like it was as good it, as the 850, I think. It was the, by far, yeah, it was point two nine. Yeah. So the Subaru XT6 had a drag coefficient that was actually lower than its successor and was actually the most aerodynamic Subaru like up until like the last couple of years. I believe it. I mean, point two nine stood for a long time, and I think it just tied the eight fifty, and that went for like fifteen years. Yeah, and like it's a it's a really very cool car. And so when you actually look at like the cars with the lowest drag coefficients, like coefficients, it's actually cars from the eighties because you had this like sweet spot where you couldn't just keep making more horsepower. You actually had tires that could do something like grip the road that weren't just like bias ply or like poly glass <laughs> tires. Uh, I mean, bias plies were pretty good cutting through snow. That was pretty much yeah, all they were good it. at. Yeah. But then you didn't have the pedestrian safety requirements that came into play like in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the 80s and in the 90s, you had the actually like, very aerodynamic cars. And even in the 90s, you had more safety things for like crashing the car into other people and stuff that, that has gotten... were coming into play. Yeah, I mean, with the 1997 crash test standards were a huge step up, and then 2012 yeah. was another really big one. Yeah, so in the 80s, you had that like, sweet spot where you're safe enough. You're not going right. to die. Do you have restraints? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You'll be fine. You're Good. not going to be ejected from the Right. Car. Like, that's all you need. This is a fantastic but, list, actually. Yeah, but if you actually look at the list, the Wikipedia list, like, if you look at, towards the top, yeah. it's, like, a lot of cars. And if you actually, here, Dan has on, on his computer, scroll up to the top. Yeah. Uh, I think there is one that is, like, .03. At the very, very top. Just oh, most aerodynamic cars? Yeah. No, just keep going all the way to the top. Let's see here. 0.029.7. I didn't say three. Oh, oh all right, yeah. Go, yeah. Go, to, go to the bottom then. I'm sorry. And, I mean, these are all production here, so we have to go there if you want to see full on. No, I like, think it is a production. Oh, XL1. That's what it was. It's 0.19. Sorry. Not 03. Yeah. That was the diesel uh, yeah. protocol, right? 
Yes, Actually, no, they sold a couple of those. They did. That was the thing that went into production barely. It had the Polo Blue Motion engine and a insanely slippery body. Yes. And I think the, it had a manual, too. The Tesla Model S, for credit... Well, I mean, right, so they say that the Tesla Model S has a drag coefficient of 0.21. Yep. That's so assuming... Air, that's also assuming that Tesla build quality means that all of the body panels are aligned correctly. I think it also assumes it has those really disgusting early, like, flat wheels. Um, oh. No, this is for 2021. Oh, so, yeah. So I, I think I, that, that's like fine. a build quality. I don't mind hurt mileage. But. And I also imagine that having the door handles stuck open and stuff like that probably it doesn't. Luckily, happen. that never happens. That is break and stick closed. So actually, speaking of Tesla, I have a new hobby that I've, I've begun when I'm on the road is okay. taking photos of Teslas and trying to find the build quality problems on them. It probably won't take much. I mean, Model 3s to this day and oh, Ys really are still bad. being delivered with, like, massive issues. I saw uh, downtown, I did go pick up Janice Parking Pass um, yesterday morning. I saw a Model 3 in front of me. It's brand new, sold dealer plates on it. had a moisture leak in the left outer taillight. Tesla says it's normal because they're, they're inner and outer lens lights. I'm like, that's not d- normal. if that's normal, redesign your taillight because that's not good. That looks horrific. Yeah. Like yeah, this is normal. It's normal. Look like like looks like trash. Yeah. Like okay. It's cool. also not hard to fix. 3M actually makes a product that you can literally just like throw over, like drill a hole, throw it over, and it's like a one-way uh, vapor barrier. No, it's a Gore-Tex. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Could so, not think the brand name. Patent pending. Uh, not pending at all. Yeah. So I guess believe like, it is fully patented. If having bad design issues is just normal, I guess a Tesla Model Three is just a modern Ford Aspire where it's just doesn't look good and that's the way it's supposed to look is bad <laughs> or even like the i don't know the first gen of veo that came here i mean it's it's a day so that's good but like the corners that were cut to get it like with chevy so, badges stapled so on it even really in wasn't Korean well version, made it yeah. always looked bad yeah. the car always at no point did the first gen of veo ever look good no and yeah. it wasn't well put together and i don't know if it had like missing paint areas like i see this all the time on the local car group for that, a new Model 3, they open the hatch and there's literally missing paint that huh. is starting to rust or something inside Incredible. of the hatch on like a brand new car. That's amazing. So Model 3 and Y, especially, yeah, no, the the panel gaps are still awful on a new Tesla Model S even still, but at least those are largely aluminum so it won't rust when they forget to paint it. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be long till Tesla is just, I honestly think they're either going to go bust or they're going to have to pull forward and like... Elon Musk is going to have to get removed like, yeah. entirely from the company. I would like and that his, much Yeah, more. that'd be great. And his successor has got to do like an Edsel Ford where he makes like a Model B or it's just like a much better vehicle in every Whoa, way. Whoa, there's some wind. That's very good wind. Sorry for the uh, wind noise, everybody. That was very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I can hear it on the mic, but whatever. Other than that, all right. All right, all right, all right. Next topic. Yes. You guys probably saw this. I hate bringing up DeMiro on this nope. podcast because we don't like I hate him. him. He's horrible. But He's I'll, I just want to talk about the product. So mm-hmm. we don't even have to reference who reviewed it on this particular link. But a man has reviewed a Signet. And not only is it a Signet, which is already ridiculously rare, it was actually the original geneva motor show that's cool demo car that's which had cool. custom floral oh, inlays so he, he got that from the peterson if i'm not mistaken entirely possible yeah. I, I think it was it's currently owned by some dealership in southern california but i didn't realize how interesting the signet actually was when it was first launched it was essentially kind of a buy one get one free with your v12 aston so they could have their compliance vehicle yes. that reduced their carbon footprint because Aston Martin doesn't have like a Volkswagen or a Fiat brand no, in house Aston to Martin. kill their CO2 yeah. and electrification and all that kind of stuff really wasn't going on when these were released in 2011. No. So it is a Toyota IQ. Yes. They have changed nothing mechanically on it, but I didn't realize how much of the rest of it they changed. Like every single piece on the interior. Oh yeah, no, they're actually really good. Yeah. I. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. I, I mean, I looked at the seat and I'm like, I would daily this. No, it, it, and you could get it with a stick still. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. This one's a CVT. Literally, the only thing that's holding me back from getting an IQ is the fact that I cannot get a manual in America. Oh yeah, but you could. All the swap parts exist in. in yeah, I don't want to daily swap my daily. Then so, you, you might be able to get a substantially similar and import one. Uh, this is here on show or display. But it's a Signet, not an IQ. Yeah, I, might, I wonder if I could do a substantially somewhere. The EPA would be a problem. But the 
this is unique in a way because it has floral inlays, but it's not unique because almost every one of these signets was done up by the in-house division in Aston Martin that does customization. Yep. So it's like BMW individual. They audit what you want. It's almost like a Rolls-Royce experience where you tell them what you're into, and that's what the inlay and the headliner become. That's really good. Oh, and I like that a not lot. only that, they'll color key like the piping in the leather. The leather, you have a standard choice set, but the piping in the Very leather, cool. it's like a Jaguar thing. Yes. It's, the more I'm you look at fan. it... I'm a big fan of cars like this. This is good. And let's be honest, you're driving an IQ, so it will never go wrong, and it'll probably do 40 miles to the gallon. I, I would. I, I like a, this. I thing. really. Yeah, I, I genuinely love them. Like this, and I really wish like minis were better because I'd love to get a Goodwood mini. Yeah, but like, I then I'd have to have mini ownership. I don't want that. If you could find one that had been done up and has a D series in it or something, it would be perfect. I want the whole thing, the whole Goodwood, because I found out you could actually get a Goodwood with, with a manual. Yeah, Good. On the, on the they were very or- rare. Were these OEM fenders? Flippers? No, that's a V8 swapped one. Oh, okay. the green one? That's a one-of-one one that Aston okay. built for a guy. Just yeah. want to make sure. Only I think, ordered I think it was for Top Gear, was it? Uh, no, it, it, oh, Top it Gear a guy did cover actually, it. A guy actually ordered it. That's yep. amazing. On the condition that there would only be one made ever. And yes. it, it's a V8 Vantage with a signet stuck on top. Oh, good. Here, God. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I yet, love that. It is, it is a manual yeah, V8 Vantage. Yeah, signets are good. Like, they're very, very good vehicles. Any small hatchback I'm a fan of, A. And any car that's, like, you can personalize it a lot, I'm yeah. also a fan of. Similarly, the Toyota Prius C, mm-hmm. they, had the, they had a very limited trim of a wow. Look at that headliner. That's I know. amazing. It's fantastic. The headliner, or not the headliner, but there's a wow, Persona trim level for the Prius C where you could get, like, color keyed. Any color that Toyota makes, basically, okay. you could get, tr- like, special trim for and it wasn't just like they just take the the normal trim and like repaint it. It was a completely different piece of trim hmm. that they would add onto the car. Actually, made the cars like a hundred percent better. It was very cool. I wasn't even aware of that. I mean, the Prius C is already the C and the V are the most interesting of the Prius line, but the C yeah. actually handles really well. I really like the C. Like, did you also know that this Prius C is the? It's a homologation car, isn't it? No, it's the best-selling car in Tahiti. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Shouldn't yeah. laugh at that. Now but you know. I do know that. <laughs> That's a um, fact. The Prius C isn't still in production, is it? Oh, if I know, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry about There's the wind noise. There's a lot of them that are used. But so. I'm also not sorry about the wind noise because I really like the breeze. It's still hot uh, in here. Prius C was discontinued in 2019. Okay, so Tahitians are just driving older cars. They're just going to become the new Cuba. Yeah, they are. This, everybody's going to have... In 50 years, it's just going to be Priuses running around with, I don't know like, what full electric now, powertrains. Like, like, basically, you see, like, Priuses in Tahiti, kind of like how you see, like, Corollas in Afghanistan, where everybody and their mom has one. And it's not a matter of, like, what car do you drive, it's what Corolla do you drive. And, like, the Fiat 126P in um, Poland, or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 126 Polski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, see yeah. Corollas, not Hiluxes? Yeah, no, if you actually, like, Google, like, if you just go on Google Maps to go to Afghanistan, it's all crawlers. Huh, the Marino. Um, yeah. Are they all stolen? No, they just uh, import them because they're, like, they're super-duper reliable. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to do any maintenance on them. And if you have one that's, like, like in the middle of, like, the Panchir Valley, like, you can't really get to a Toyota authorized service technician, like, <laughs> you're just going to drive it, and it's going to work. And that's that how like it works. a Honda Element you buy used where it will get you home yeah. and it will continue to drive but everything that can be avoided on the repair bill was yes it's like that okay, okay. i got an idea we're probably gonna have to patent this after the show satellites okay that drop car parts from orbit how can that's they would burn up oh uh, no 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 that also the it, right, you know entry pot that sounds really expensive. Like, also, yeah, terribly contro- expensive. I need or a ter- control terribly, arm. No, not only that, terribly, terribly uh, dangerous. Because you know how many dipshits in like Florida would stand directly underneath it and try and catch it? But anyway, I uploaded a photo oh of a Prius C Persona series. Uh, let me go to the notes real quick. It's a very, very good looking car. Oh my goodness, it has the same pink accents as the Signet. Yeah, is that good? It looks much more upscale. Like, it, is, it is a completely different piece of trim. And there's actually another piece um, that for some reason is not on this photo, but it's in a different one. But there's a piece of trim that goes on the door as well. Um, I will upload that photo. 
now. Wow, they actually made Priuses cool. Yeah, no, they really did. Like, Prius Cs are objectively cool cars. And HKS made exhausts and coilovers for them. Because there is a one, there is a uh, one model or like a one make race for them in Japan. Hmm. But yeah, see on the door, there's that piece of trim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes the car like a hundred percent better. I very badly want one. Yeah, I'm not sure changing like the window sweep piece is. Like, well, I mean, it's great though. They don't have to change any hard points. They can just put this on the assembly line. So and it, it really does help a lot when you see them in person. Like it looks like. If you see this next to a normal one, the normal one looks like poverty spec by comparison. Well, yeah. It looks so much better with that trim. But in the future, will this be one of those things where a low-spec car is worth more, or will this be worth more because it's interesting and unique? I think it's a Prius C, and they're all going to be worth the same amount of money because it's a Prius C. It is a commodity it, car, yeah. And it exists. That's what it's going to be. I am a Prius C, and I exist. Yeah, like, that's what you're going to be looking for. If you're somebody that's a collector and you're looking for a Prius C, like, cool, you found one. Congratulations. It's going to be like finding, like, a 70s Corolla. Like, you have it. Good. Like, will a Sprinter, like, GTS be worth more? Like, yeah, maybe. But, like, you also have the Corolla right here that's good and works. I feel like the only ones of those that have ever been taken off the road were, like, hit. Yeah, basically. Or they like rusted in half, and that was it. Yeah. Like, nobody's ever ha- like t- nobody's ever killed a Corolla because of, yeah, like... Yeah, no one's just had one and been like, I don't really like this anymore, I'm going to scrap it. No, nobody does that. Like, no. <laughs> everybody wants a Corolla at all times. And Prius Cs are very similar. It's uh, a modern AE86 is what I'm hearing. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, moving on. And I want to talk about, actually, what is the question of the week on Bring a Trailer, uh, okay. the week that we're actually recording... Which is the last week in July. I was going to say, that's rare um, for us. Yes. And this question of the week is, what is the most underrated power plant? Power plant referencing engine. Yes. Okay. Well, engine or motor, I guess. Oh, shoot. I didn't think about that. I, I should say mill of sorts, because a mill is just a power plant. What is the most underrated mill? So while you're thinking about that, while you, Dan, I, you're I've, thinking about that as well. Yeah, we can have Dan do his answers, too. I'm going to throw in one electric. Uh, yeah, no, I, I want uh, Dan's answer as well. Uh, the first one, I've got three here, because we always do three when we have these things, because we can never decide on one. Uh, I'm going to say the Nissan L-Series for performance. Okay, so that was the, the 240Z Datsun, Yeah, two, 240 through 280ZX inline six. Mm-hmm. People always rip those out and put in an RB26. That's less reliable and makes less power. I have seen recently a lot of people having very catastrophic issues with the RB series engines. Yeah, because they have like timing chains and stuff, and people don't. No, they've got. Like, oh, they've got belts, yeah. Uh, but but like, they have like valve train metallurgy issues, like Audi engines. Oh wow! Yeah, like RB twenty sixes are not good as it no, turns they, out. No, I have. This is why I like two J's. Like if I'm gonna get an inline six, like a nineties inline six, that's be reliable. I'm gonna get a two J because there's a reason that everybody builds LSs and not Ford Coyotes, and there's a reason everybody builds two Js and not RBs. The RB is a very fascinating engine in the same way that a Coyote is a very fascinating engine. It's a very complex engine, which means it's going to have more issues, and the issues are going to cost you more to sort. Exactly. And some random guy lived in Gunma for, and had that car, and but was just barely to get past Shotgun for like 30 years. You really think he did all the maintenance? No, he just got did enough to get past Shotgun. That's what he did. I assume that was the Japanese inspection. Yes, okay. that's the Japanese tube. Nice. Um, but yeah, the Nissan L-Series, their inline-six, like it was a reverse-flow... Like, single overhead cam, cylinder head. That wasn't even SOHC, was it? What? I thought it started cam and block. It was always SOHC? Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, it was, always, it was a direct overhead cam, so it didn't have any rockers or anything. Like, you just okay. pushed directly on the valve tap it. And it's got quite, uh, like, a motorsport pedigree, too. I mean, that oh, engine yeah. still campaigned aggressively today. And um, in the Midnight Club, the ARB Hosoki car had made, like, it was like 800 horsepower or something silly like that. Jeez. And well, it was an iron block. I mean, yeah, and you like you can make like three hundred horsepower. You can make a hundred horsepower per liter on those easily all motor. Hmm. Like I shouldn't say easily, but like for a reverse flow head, that's impressive. Easily enough for a reverse flow head, like you can make like big power on them. So the later ones go cross flow, don't they? Nope. Really? They were always, they were always flow? even with fuel injection and turbocharging. They were always <laughs> reverse flow, and they're. Nice. Yeah, the uh, 280ZX engine bay is very humorous to look at. It is definitely MLA's engine bay. <laughs> Let's engineer around this problem. I don't yes, think exactly. So. But I, I think if you are making under 500 horsepower on a 
Datsun of sorts, like on a 240, and you ever consider removing the L-Series engine, you're doing yourself a disservice by removing that. Like that's it's like it's like pulling out what's that uh, the BMW engine that's in the um, the Supra now, the B fifty eight. Yeah, it's like removing a B fifty eight to put in a two J. Yeah, it just doesn't like, make sense. Where you're like, why would you, like I understand that you can make a lot of power with a two J, but like you're doing a ton of work when you could really just put a turbo, a larger turbo in the B fifty eight and be fine. Yep. And like L series, like big cam, poured out the head, and that. Will in yeah. high comp pistons, and that will get you a reliable 300 horsepower. I believe and it. I mean, the bottom end is not the limiting factor, even on a 2.4. No, the limiting factor is like emissions. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was going to say still the head flow characteristics, but I don't actually know the L series that well. If you actually pour out the L series head, they flow really well. Sure. Like, it's shocking how well they flow. So it might just be like heat soak between the intake and exhaust, then that's the biggest issue? I don't know. No, it's just. Uh, they were tuned for emission stuff and fuel economy. Like, that so was like, literally it. It's like emissions, CVCC, fuel economy, and thermal reactor. make it as reliable as humanly possible. And Because, like, that's the thing. is like, in Japan, like, cars coming from Japan at that point in time, like, in the 50s, Japanese cars weren't terribly reliable. And American... Like the Toyota Crown? Yeah. Like, all, yeah, like, a lot of Americans took, like, 50s Japanese cars and said, all right, all Japanese cars are unreliable. Similar to like how up until very recently people said all Korean cars aren't reliable because right. Korean cars from the eighties kind of sucked. Um, but if you took like the, um, but yeah, so when Nissan took the L series and brought it to us, they just made sure like, all right, this needs to make enough power to be as fast as a charger. Okay, cool. There you go. That's what we're gonna do. Also, this will never ever break in your entire life, or and you will lose your, your job. <laughs> yeah, like that's your sales pitch. It'll just never break. And it never did. And that's how you see L-Series like, being pulled out of barns and stuff, and people slap a new carb on a new gas tank, and it runs. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, is it frozen? Is it stuck? No. No, it's not a problem. Nope. Because like, <laughs> it was designed to make way more power than it's actually making. I do like overbuilt stuff, and I, yeah, I believe that about the L-Series. And it also sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's a good-sounding inline-six. Yeah. Like, it's very similar to my second choice, but... My I boss's will get Ferrari my, has an L in it, and it sounds good. I will um, move on to my second one after I hear what your first one was. All right. Uh, I know what it is. I'm not going to page over on my comments, but I am going to submit for my first choice the Toyota 2AZ FE, which is oh. the 2.4-liter that's in the Scion TC, the XB, the Camry... It's a Those really boring engine, but not only are they just unflinchingly reliable, they never, ever break. The stock rotating assembly can handle, like, 600 horsepower. Yes, it can. They make and big power. There's one... Nobody tunes those. There's one catastrophic issue with them. What is? Uh, the water pump. Is it, it, is it uh, chain-driven? No, the, uh, the water pump wheel iron the block is aluminum ah and if you don't change the water pump before it fails it'll eat up the block oh great so you need like a sacrificial anode in the cooling system basically yeah. okay you, what, what you do is like at could, like uh, about 150 ish thousand miles you just replace the water pump nobody ever does of course not it's a toyota well, and so if it. they ever fail it's because they overheated because of that sure. and what it does is it doesn't like mix water and oil it just um, cuts into another cooling jacket and creates a cavitation air issue. So Toyota four cylinders have had uh, cavitating water pump issues for as long as there has been time. Yeah, I don't. But it doesn't affect their reliability at no, all. No, doesn't seem to. No, like <laughs> as long as you just don't like, you roach the live at the head, re- yeah. yeah I, I figured fine. like if that um, electrolysis got so bad, maybe it could create like a pinhole leak between some galley and the cooling uh, pathway, but. Again, you you can find a low enough mile two AZ for free. Yeah, there's, or that's probably there's a, re- a huge there's a issue. reason that you see like the world's worst looking Camry still driving with like five hundred thousand miles yep. on it because of that. Your Bentley flag went away, but we're not going to do anything about that. Uh, Dan, what was your first choice for that? Uh, I have first, second, and third. They're all just going to be a family of engines, and not the answer you'll expect from All right, me. so what's your first one? And then we'll go to the second and third one after this. Uh, the 2.5-liter, five-cylinder uh, turbo engine out of the Volvo S60R, I think. That's a good choice, yeah. Weird. I've never thought... Cause the Volvo I think white block. It, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there are fans of that. Every time I see a white block, though, I just think of how reliable that... 
the red block was. Well, the red block was awesome, and let's be honest, the early NA white blocks in the early 2000s before they turbocharged them were really not good. <laughs> but the later, yeah, the S60R and the V70R white block turbos are actually really solid. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I figured you guys were going to go with six cylinders, and since I'm a four-cylinder no, guy, that's a five-cylinder. That's a solid. You know? That's actually a really solid uh, choice. I was thinking through it when I was entering the rest of my choices. In I the almost, of the I almost went with the five-cylinder as well on mine on my list, but I didn't want to give that company too much credit. But <laughs> I'll give them an honorable mention if no, at the end here if nobody else uh, guesses what my uh, second choice was or what my yeah what my second choice was. Um, I guess I'll uh, go on to my second choice since, since I've been talking about Do. it. Do. Chevy Stovable. So that is the 53 the f- to 57? No, it's older than 53. Really? Like, it was from the oh, 20s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like 27 to like, yeah. I think like, God, it was Chevy Stovable. That was one of the it first engines. It outlived the uh, Thriftmaster, which replaced it. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that was the Corvette engine, the Blue Flame, right? The Thriftmaster? Yeah, that, that, no, that was a Stovable. Really? Yeah. The, okay. The, the, it was based off of a, off of a, a Stovable. It was a Stovable with um, a higher compression... Cylinder head, I think. The blue flame. And I think like a twin carburetors. I think the um, I think the stove bolt was the first production car engine in America to have a pressurized oil system. That would make sense. Uh, so it was 1929 yeah. to 1963 in the United States. I believe it was. Um, but they made the stove bolt until 1979 in Brazil. Good God. Yeah. I mean... 1929 to 1979. Can you imagine? Okay, so an engine, if you, a thousand years from now, you came across the schematics for a stove bolt, and you just created one, again, with, like, modern lubricants, that thing would probably outlast time. Yeah. Like, really. A lot of the issues with why boomers are like, oh, we've got to rebuild that engine every 30K, it's because, like, well, your oil sucked. And, like, a lot of times you didn't even have an oil filter on a car that age. Yeah. So, no wonder shit got stuck in your bearings and it ate itself to pieces. But I I do wonder, like, it was already really reliable with the cards stacked against it. Yeah. So, like... Yeah, like, today, like, that's why people modify them for builds. It's very difficult, actually, to find... So, like, in, like, the hot rod world, like, the stove bolt cars, it's, like, sacrilegious to remove a stove bolt from the car. It's kind of like... A flathead Ford? Yeah, it's like all swapping a flathead or, like, removing a nail head for any reason. Um, but We've struck a chord, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Uh, it, it's just a, a chord that a, he created. Yeah, it's, it's a better engine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so... Now let's clarify. It's better because it is worse. Yes, but the thrift, so yeah, the Thriftmaster actually was technically a part of a stove bolt, but it was a more modernized sort of and let's thing. Not forget the Jimmy Six that was produced alongside the stove bolt That's slightly true. later. Yes. That was the engine everyone cared about because there was more tuning available for it. Yeah, but that didn't mean the stove bolt was a bad engine. No, and so the the um, two thirty five, the Blue Flame engine, yeah, was the original 53. Corvette engine, and like those made like. Uh, between 100, 110, weren't they? You could make a. There's a version with 155 horsepower wow. on the Corvette. That's really good. Yeah. What was the? Okay, I want to know the the top engine RPM where it made its power. Was it like 4,000 RPM? 4,200. Wow. But can you imagine the wet honk coming out of those oh, twin cars? Amazing. Triple oh. carbs, triple singles. Amazing. Oh my god. But they it was another reverse flow in line six. I'm sensing a pattern here yeah, with know, your right? choices. But is your third one a reverse flow in no, line six? No, it's not. Okay. Oh, thank <laughs> god. I needed I almost was, and then I changed it. Because I was gonna say the Jeep 4 2. Um but then I was like, no, I can't do a Jeep I can't the do a 4-0? Jeep 4 2. The 4 2, the later Jeep in line the last in line six I made. Yeah, four later. The power tech Thank or whatever. It was, it was the, oh yeah, it was a four oh, yeah, because yeah. the four two was earlier. Yeah. I only remember that because I remember being triggered at the badges saying L-I-T-R-E for Litri. <laughs> Litri. It was yeah, like the British spelling, yeah, even though it's British. an American... AMC, but it was a Renault yeah. design. Oh. Yeah. No wonder it was good. Exactly. It was French. Yeah. So with the stove bolts, there's a ton of aftermarket <laughs> support. Like, as much aftermarket support for stove bolts as there was for, like, flatheads and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can get, like, Offenhauser, like, intake manifolds. You can get true dual exhaust, which makes the greatest noise, which is, like, a cross between a Harley-Davidson and a motorboat. I can picture it sounding a lot like hmm. a big display, like an M30 Do you that remember? won't rev. 
Do you remember that Jag I showed you that I said had the best sounding exhaust mm-hmm. ever? Yes. Because the True Duels. It sounds like that. It just sounds like a lazier, wet. bigger, wetter. Yeah. It's that, but wetter. Yeah. Then when you raise the compression, it's more like sharp sounding. They're very, very cool engines. Like you can make you can make a lot of different noises with them. It's fascinating how much just a compression ratio change can change the sound, the sound of an engine. Yeah, and with stove bolts it's immediately noticeable. Also, can we comment on how good that name is? Stove yeah. Stovebolt? Well they, you you know why they did named it that, right? Because it's made out of cast iron? Uh no, no. The bolts that they use to assemble it actually resemble the ones that they used back then to assemble so, stoves. Yeah, on the passenger side of the engine below where the spark plugs are because the spark plugs going sideways yeah not down not angled no, literally the pistons sideways. don't go anywhere near the nope. top of the stroke so they don't side it is so <laughs> directly below that is where you would access the push rods okay. and there's i think eight bolts and they literally just like bolts on a stove hmm. and there's giant open bolts you pop them open and that's how you adjust the uh push rods and then you just put in a new cork gasket and you pop it shut. That's it. Truly a simpler. Literally, time. yeah. It's called a stove bolt because of that. Half, One half of those engine. came into a, a certified motor dealer in 1934. They open up the panel and there's coal in it. Like, <laughs> what were you doing? Like, I thought it needed more coal. I thought it needed coal. It was running cold. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, very, very cool engine. What's uh, your second choice? My second engine choice is, let me page over. Okay, the Hyundai Tau V8. That engine gets no praise at all. So it's their four point no, it's their five liter V eight that came out in the Hyundai Genesis full size car. Put it in nothing interesting. That's why they put they, that engine in nothing. That correct. About. They never put it in the Genesis coupe. They never did like a pre N. I don't know. The, they wouldn't w- even give um, Injuku one for when they had their Genesis coupe drift car. And Juku ran LS, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it. They should have run, like, a VK56 or something just to piss on them. But it is, like, on paper... That's a good engine, yeah. It's just like the Toyota 5-liter that's in, like, the ISF and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's arguably even better. How so? It's, well, it's Korean. I prefer Korean engines to Japanese engines. It's subjective. Just, uh, but the Tau is very reliable. It is just as good as a Lexus, but it, it that you is know, I'll thing. tell you why it's better. The thing is, they no, didn't put their tailpipes We're not trying to say that they're better. We're just trying to say underrated. It's better. And this is clearly underrated. By just being equivalent, could make it underrated. The Genesis tailpipes never were stacked diagonally. That's true, and they all worked. It's true. They, they were all have, functional. They did not have fake exhaust. That's why. But no, the, yeah. the towel is just like, it's just doing its job in the background. It's just, it exists and it's cool. Um, but I mean, like, the world needs more JDM, KDM, NAV8s, because when they do them, they're fantastic. This is very true. Like, the UZ engines, now that LSs are not a dollar. Um, yep. And now LSs People discovered are literally $3. Cash for Clunkers yeah. days, nobody gave a shit about the 1UZ. People now they're kept, actually commanding some money. People were removing 1UZs to put in LSs mm-hmm. and drift cars. And I'm like, that's dumb. It's very dumb. This is more effort. So we'll find out in the it's future. Like, it's, like, it's like Jay-Z swapping a Skyline. Like, yep. You don't we're, need to. Like, <laughs> we're on the same path we've been on this whole episode. But like, it wouldn't surprise me in 10 years' time when you can pick up $500 Genesis's. Genesis, whatever. Genesis, yeah. And I don't even know if they're DI. I don't think they are. I think they're port injected. But like, it wouldn't surprise me if those things just have like one UZ grade bottom ends because it was their first V8 and they needed it to not fail. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Heck, so, but they they couldn't make they couldn't base it off of Mitsubishi either. They had to actually make it make it. No, it's. I think it was their first actual ground up engine that they made. Yeah, and the, I know the tower was it's just underappreciated. It's a good engine. Yeah, no, you're right. Dan, what's your second choice? Um, you know, one of these had to be a Mitsubishi, so I'm just going to say the, uh, yeah, sorry about that, the 6G75 uh, V6. Is that the one that's in the 4th Gen Eclipse? And a few other cars as well, yes. What um, the place, what this way, is it 3.8? Is that the 3.8 Myvec? Yep. Absolutely. Is that the same one they use in the Genesis Coupe? Uh, yes, actually. And ironically okay, enough, yeah. the Coupe actually uses the correct 4-cylinder, not the one in my car which is the 4B12 engine, so a slight derivation on what's in the Evo, as opposed to that, you know, shitty one that's sitting in my car over there. The boat anchor attached to an automatic? Yeah, basically. Cool. It has been reliable, though, yeah, I will say. I will say, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the 6 not only can handle, like, uh, nitrous and a bit of boost pretty well, um, most people throw just, like, a supercharger on it, and yeah, they those have, are like, actually good engine, Evo killers right away. So. I would, good, because I the factory power output's very underwhelming. I- any... Like 
Mitsubishi V6 is slept on. Because mm-hmm. the 48 or something, what was the one that was in the Montero? That's a good question. But yeah, people could swap Montero engines into third gen Eclipses, and they were equally as reliable. Yeah. Yeah, like Mitsubishi V6s are very good, what not engine? often talked about engines. There's a, a all-wheel drive silver third gen that's turbo and V6. Yeah. Is that just a 3? That's the one I just said, that's, 6G75. Okay. Yeah, 6G75. Is that a 3.8? Yes, Okay. and boosted, well, and automatic, boosted. as it turns out. Uh, well, you had such to, a clean car, you, you do have to swap the components from the, um, is it the Montero? What's the one with the um, all-wheel drive Endeavor? SUV? Yes, thank Endeavor. you. Endeavor. Endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. That thing's transverse? Driver. Yes. Didn't know that. Yeah, so you, you, they, I guess it is unit they have to be V6 in some applications if you want all-wheel drive. Um, I think now there's an adapter to use a Evo transmission. I hope so. I think there is. <laughs> but for a long time, you'd have to make the automatic work. So also, like, weird so that's underrated... So trans? Well, yeah, it's like weird underrated well, transmissions now, yeah. is the Mitsubishi V6 transaxle. Because there's actually, like... You can get, like, dog-cut gears and stuff for it. Couldn't you run, like, a GSX Auto? Or were those never not then, with Auto? Not, it, it, at that point different. in time, like, okay. you yeah. could, like now you can, because now you have adapter points. Okay, that, but like, the bell housing pattern's all different? Yeah. And, like, like, nowadays, you can do that, but, like, back in, like, the 2010s, like, when these cars were cheap and abundant, yeah. um, you did not have that ability. And now, like, there's, like, a couple of guys have, like, th- you know, they have, like, 3D printers, they'll make you a jig so you can get the jig and you just take it to machine shop and they'll machine something for you. I'm glad that that stuff's getting so much easier. Yeah, yeah. but it, for a long time, you had, it was easier, literally, to just put in different gears on the automatic transaxle and just make the automatic transaxle actually, actually good for drag racing. Well, I mean, I... I understand that that car is designed to produce ETs, and to do that, you really ought to have an auto box. Well, you, can, you can do it with a manual. I mean, the fastest, I mean the that fastest. red and black Eclipse, that second gen, that thing's in like the sevens now. I think yeah. sixes. I think, sixes. Actually. You're like, talking about, I love yeah, that car. Red Demon by yeah. Boost in performance. Yeah, that one. Those guys always just finally... show up with like an open trailer, and they just look like they're there having a great time. I just think it's so funny how cocky DSM people were in the '90s and 2000s. The Hondas just like kick their shit in for like 20 years, and they're finally catching up with Hondas after having their shit. They're just, That's like, the thing. If you had an all-wheel drive K car, you could easily do if that. If you yeah. could. Have a good driver in a front-wheel drive B series. You're still giving that car a run for its money. True, isn't? Yeah, they're six-second front-wheel drive Civic. I think it was like during the pandemic is when all-wheel drive Honda finally became faster than front-wheel drive Honda because like there's so much R and D in that. That happened, and then I think the front-wheel drive went and did a faster run again. And I think it flip-flopped once before it it, actually stayed all-wheel drive. Yeah, it's very very interesting. Yeah, that car is insane. It was that silver. GG, I don't even know. Yeah, to me, those things yeah. are just chariots. You know, you're just, like, whipping the horse in front of you, and you have nothing behind the, like, front two wheels on the driver. I really like that. Uh, I don't think it ever actually worked well, but somebody put a V6 backward in front of the front axle on a Honda to try to get it to hook better, and yes. it was still technically front-wheel drive, even though the engine was, like, way out front. Oh, my God. I know what car you're talking about. Yeah. Actually, I don't think that was a Honda. I thought it was a J-Series V6. I might be wrong. Okay. But it's that weird era between street outlaw cars becoming fast. Yeah. And between, like, the first wave of, like, early 2000s import drag racing, where you'd have, like, tube frame cars that are running, like, nine seconds and mm-hmm. just have, like, a five-minute, like, 60-foot time. <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't figure out how to get them to hook for, like, ten years. Bye, supplies. <laughs> Once they were able to make them, like, hook it for, like... Literally, it wasn't until like we were in high school when they were able like get front wheel drive cars to hook. Well, tire technology, like they had to wait for Actually, it. Actually, more than that, it was suspension technology. Like huh. figuring out the suspension because uh, what you have to do is you have to you need the f- the weight to stay over the front, and doing that without having the rear end jump around is very difficult. Hmm. And that's how I, a lot of. That's actually where the giant spoiler on Honda came from. This is a drag racing thing. They you weight reduce all of the weight out of the car, and then at like 100 miles an hour, the rear end starts bouncing up and down because there's just no weight. Because now you're oh, it's a first gen Audi TT. Yeah, it's like your uh, your weight distribution is now like 75 25. I believe it. And oh yeah, like Miguel's you, car. I'm like yeah, like you can pick up the and so Miguel's car. If you look, he's he had that 
huge long wing that went off the back is a- actually is functional hmm. because if you actually see cars without those wings, like the rear end will bounce all over the place. That's terrifying. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> nope. I've been in a car that did that. I put a spoiler on it for that purpose. And that wasn't because it was fast. It's because it was broken. Mm. But, yes. What's the difference? That, that was a thing where it, w- it would actually bounce around. And when I, I, like, I bought this like very particularly shitty Accord, and it had a big, dumb eBay spoiler, and I took it off. And then I was driving it at, like, about 90, and the rear end started going like this. And then you like, put the spoiler promptly back on? Yep. I stopped and went home at normal speed, and then I put a spoiler back on. I went back to the next night, drove to my girlfriend at the time's house, only 90, and it did not do this. It did not commence the jiggling. So it was... That is a really terrifying gesture I'm dealing with with my eyes right now. Yeah, so. it was the whole... Because I was watching, I looked in the back, and I would see the body of the car... Float separate from where the suspension mounts That's going to be a pass from me, dog. Yeah, so I put a spoiler back on that All because right. it was just a very bad, terrible car. Um, my third one, my last one, um, is the reason I hate oh my goodness. the I had existence to go look. of the small block Chevy. The Buick Nailhead. Why would you ever want to put a small block into your hot rod when the Buick Nailhead exists? It is so much cooler in every way. It it's comes, heavier, but other than that... Mm? They come from the factory with a very very large cam because the way they made the engine work is they just had tons of lift and duration so it had just like a super hot cam because it had a pent roof combustion chamber sure okay nail head name um pent roof is a cool yes i like that a lot. but it had a pent roof combustion chamber so you'd have a huge lift and duration cam so when you cut the exhaust off of them they already sound like a cammed out small block and it's just stock and it's very cool and it doesn't matter what carburetor you put on it. Anything over 500 CFM works great. The more you put on it, the more it likes. Because it has too big of a cam from the factory. And so... <laughs> they just undid the performance yeah, within it, by like restricting the intake yeah, and exhaust. Yeah, that's actually... They restricted the hell out of it. And actually taking the... Doing just an air filter gives you like 30 horsepower. Because of how restrictive it was. They wanted the engine to have as much torque as possible. Mm-hmm. Make no noise from the factory... And then not every shift, so they put it behind the Dynaflow, the dumbest transmission in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so what they did to overcome all this dumb shit that they did to make this engine um, be as smooth mm, as possible yeah. is they just made the engine very overbuilt. You cannot make much more power at them without, like... I imagine with heads you, you could. No, they don't, nobody makes heads. Hmm. Like, you can't get heads for them because they're not small blocks. Because nobody ever really... Everybody puts a small block in. Somebody's got to make it. But this is the thing. You already make 325 horsepower and you have 445 pound-feet of torque. You're going to be fine in a hot rod. Any amount of horsepower will be fine. I think you'll end up breaking things. If if you you want more, you can do dual-carb, like a dual-carb intake. TA is actually making an aluminum dual-carb intake manifold for the first time in like 40 years. Can you put a roots blower on it? You can do that. That but I mean, like, sound really good. Just a dual carb intake with like a couple like 650 CFM carbs on it. And dual you're, quads? Yeah, you're easily in the mid to high 400 horsepower range. That's pretty good on stock heads. Hmm. Yeah, and then you put a supercharger on it, yes. and then you can make really big power. But like, I can't yeah. even imagine the the tip in torque with a blower on a nail head and the, be like, the well, tip in torque on a nail head with normal right. is ridiculous. Right. With a blower, it'd be even more ridiculous. It reminds me of what I pictured. No, the, um, the crusher Impala that uh, roadkill did. Yes. They took that uh, 454. I don't remember yeah. what the hell it was, but it's a big block Chevy with an 871 Y end on it. And it's got a stall converter in it. You just, you touch the throttle and just both tires light up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. Yeah, it's. I, I kind of like that. They're very, very <laughs> cool. Um, I also found out Jana's Buick has a posse in it the other day. Hell yes. Because I was at a stoplight and I put it in neutral because when I'm at a stoplight and I've got a very torquey engine, I don't want to have to stand on the brakes. Especially Plus, their manual brakes. No, they're power assisted. No. But, like, they rebuilt the brakes, but they didn't rebuild the, ma- the brake master cylinder. So, like, that doesn't. It's not, like, bad or anything. But if you catch a light and you sit at it for the entire duration of the light, the brake pedal will kind of go to the floor a little bit. Like, it will still work fine, but, like, over the course of, like, two minutes staying on the brakes, you'll lose pressure. Okay. Um, so I just put it in neutral just to make sure 
I'm like paying attention, and like it, if it does lose pressure, it doesn't start inching into traffic. Oh, you don't want to be the guy in the whatever the hell that car was. Yeah, last exactly. Week. I pay attention to my car, and I know that I'm like hmm, these brakes aren't ideal, hmm. and that's why I gave the car a very wide berth anywhere I go, and if I'm ever doing anything, I always put it in neutral whenever I'm slowing down. But anyway, I put it into low instead of driving an accident. And um, oh. I stepped on the gas, as one would normally do. To pull away, yes. To pull away. One might. And it f- fucking pulled away. <laughs> <laughs> it pulled away. And pull away she did, boys. Boy, howdy, did it pull away. And boy, howdy, the, the poor little like Somali grandma and her like Sienna with all the windows down, because the AC probably didn't work. Did she get the scare of a lifetime? Because that car went wide open throttle. It was very loud and left two perfectly straight marks right in front of Popeyes. So, yes, positive traction. Perfect. I'm glad it's not even worn out. Very, very happy to see that that exists and works. I need to so, ride. It's a great car. I love it. Like Everybody should have a nail head. They are so underrated. They're like, I don't... You have to put so much effort... Into a belly button small block to make it like anywhere near as nifty as a nail head. Like, it, it doesn't, like, not even like to get it like on par, but like n- as near as nifty. You know, just like, just like be able to do his basic nail head stuff. Like, you have to do so much work. work. There's a nail head, you just put it in, and then like, you just put in like a TH400 out of a Wildcat, which is a three speed auto instead of the two speed mm-hmm. wannabe CVT weird like variable vein torque converter crap. And then you have a very good vehicle that is actually fast, like very fast. So yeah, there you go. Nail heads. Heavy, but good engine. Yes. All right. I will Your move on to my back. Third. Another one. Well, if he comes back over, I will pause, take okay. pause and kill him. Anyway, uh, I'm torn because I didn't really give this enough thought when I was generating yeah, you, the list. You thought engine, not power plant. Yeah. So I, I'm going to skip the fourth one just cause we're going to do three. We're all doing three, and yeah. I'm going to stick with my original, which is the Isuzu 3.5 liter V6 from 1999. Mm-hmm. So that was in yep. not only all of the, the Amigos, the Viacross, it was also in the Honda Passport. They never had a problem. No, they're actually really good, and they made 225 horsepower out yeah. of a 3.5 in 99. And it was on regular made to be fuel. reliable and, and put in a truck. Let's be honest, that isn't the part that fails. No. In an Amigo. No, the part it's that the fails, rest of it. It's the rest of it. It's the axles that break, and then the entire truck's built around the axles, and nobody wants to replace an axle. Correct. That's actually why you see so many Amigos and Troopers like as off-road trucks because they they buy them like for five hundred bucks because they don't run, they don't drive. Right. When really it's got a broken axle, and they just throw a set of Dana forty-five and sixties under Not it. Even and that, they just replace the axle. Oh, okay. Or that. And you remove the sway bars, and then look at that. You've all like wobbly, like independent suspension, and you've got like a foot of travel. You're good. Like, but anytime you see an older trooper or something like that with that 3.5 badge on it in California, which is the only place they probably still exist. Yeah. Just they do rust the, really bad. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'm not saying doesn't. the vehicles are good. The engine might rust. I don't know, but it's good. Yeah, it's, it's fine. A, it's a technological masterpiece. And the fact that that came out of a Suzu. Isuzu's is great. It was like a world-beating engine at the time. Just like, think about right. it. Isuzu's never made a car that's known for having a problem with this engine. True. True. I actually almost picked the 1.6 liter Isuzu Turbo that's in the Lotus Elan and the Impulse. And I was actually, I almost put the 4.2 from a Trailblazer. I do really like the Atlas. But I didn't want to have three inline sixes. So I needed to uh, swap it out for an 8 or a 4. And I feel like... Honorable mention for the LL8. I like that yeah, engine. Yeah, people expect me to talk about four cylinders so oh my god i was like oh, oh eric will probably find some good four cylinder and that you did the two azfe and like yeah, that I one took i would have said the two no seven time. taco engine the, the two seven toyota truck engine is also a sleeper i mean i swear that engine was farmed out from trd like the only reason that exists like oh crap we really need a new four cylinder mm-hmm. we can't put the 22r in in 1998 they actually they designed it to be the successor to the 22r so it needed to be as reliable as the 22r yeah. and the successor part of the 22R is they want it to be, like, the truck engine for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. And it was. So it was designed to meet and surpass, em- like, emissions for 20 years, and which it did. And, and it, it was needed to... Seriously advanced, too. I mean, that yeah. thing was twin cam, all the variable Time, gun timing in, like, yep. 94. Dual road timing chain. Yeah. Like, it was Really very, good engine. Yeah. And they, I think it's still fine, like, Toyota, like, coaster vans and stuff, like, in Probably. Japan. Probably. 
Yeah, I but, can't imagine they were just in the taco and the forerunner. Yeah, uh, damn. What was yours? I'm gonna just look up this uh, well, Toyota two seven for a well, little bit. While we're on the topic of Toyota, I wanted to go with something, and I'm not sure if it's underrated versus rare, what have you. But the one GZ P. That's a great V12. engine. Yes, the double two uh, J. Underappreciated, a freaking for sure. awesome engine. That's a double one J. It was only available in you know like one car too, so I kind of figured century? like no one ever really or got the crown. It. Yeah. I can't remember. The, the Asian Rolls Royce, if yeah. you will. Yeah. That I've engine... been watching that Throttle House segment a lot lately since he bought one. He's like just putting up against everything. Briefly touching on that, they released a video last week where they put a Phantom against a Maybach 57S against the Toyota Excellent. Century. Oh. And they had the world's most clapped Phantom 7. Yeah. I mean, the thing, like, all the interior trim was broken. It kept going into limp mode when they floored it. That's really fine. Really bad. So I just wanted to say, holy hell. But, yeah, no, that's a very, very, very good engine. Yeah, that engine's um, fabulous. It's literally just two Toyota 1Js, and yeah. you make the amount of power that two Toyota 1Js mm-hmm. put together will make. Go figure. And in, like, 1998, you're going to make, like, a 1,000 horsepower with, like, 1998 tuning stuff, where, like, making 600 horsepower on a 2J was, like, considered groundbreaking um <laughs> the toyota 27 is actually called a 2trfe okay um and yeah it was in like the forerunner and the taco but it was also in the anova the coaster the highest the fortuner the land cruiser prado which is actually very cool that's a lexus gs um or gx gx i'm sorry okay. lexus gx but oh man yeah. if you could get a gx 270 in this country hell yeah Mm-hmm. No, that's a truck. Yeah, that, that's what Especially you... Especially because you can get it with a stick. You can get those in South America a with magic, a stick. A manual GX27. Well, if the if the United States goes to shit, you can just move to Bolivia and have your manual... And then I can lose money <laughs> on yet another vehicle, which is only Toyota SUVs with manuals. Only two vehicles I've ever lost money on. That's hilarious. How are you the only person losing money on Toyota? And the trucks, too. Oh, he's back. Yeah, like you, those should be the easiest cash cows in the world to oh, like, the next topic. acquire. So I'm just like I'm like just mind blown. Um, if you want to, no, that's fine. Uh, if you want to kill him, yeah, I Ryan, can, I might he, want to rain check sits. about that uh, Auburn Speedster. I didn't. I was thinking about this, right? Like, yeah. Toyota has that V12. Otherwise, the Italians, I think, are the only other ones that normally make V12s in history. And then uh, I British realized, and the Germans. Germans make a lot of V12s. I didn't realize that Americans did once upon a time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they made very cool V12s. Actually, uh, the engine that Speedster. Apparently. My my peak like flathead engine. Oh it's yeah, a isn't there like a Lincoln? Lincoln yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a Ford. It's double or it's a Ford like flathead twelve. It's very cool, but um, yeah, they called them a double six here. That they're actually called a double six in England. Didn't it have so. four cylinder heads too? Because they couldn't engineer. A... Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, yeah. they did be- like originally. Yeah, although no, but, they had straight six. Uh, yeah, Packard made a V twelve. Okay. Like yeah, a lot of Packards actually come with V twelve. But uh, this one specifically, that definitely looks like two valve covers on one side. No, that's Porsche though. That is a Porsche, yeah. Um, no, the yeah, one, there, if you, if you look it. at, so Packard, they did a yeah. flathead and an overhead valve, mm. or an overhead cam V12. So the Packard overhead cam Marine V12 is actually a dual overhead cam with a supercharger. A Packard Marine, you said? Yes. Is that just like a World War II Tech V8 that they just like reduced the displacement of a little bit? Nope, they just put boat exhaust on it. Ah, I see. So it actually is just literally an, an aero engine, engine okay. in a boat that you could put in a car. Didn't they? I think I saw a, a snippet online last week of a boat that had four of those engines in it. Sounds great. I'm here for it. I was just thinking about like how big the fuel tank would need to be on that to go boating for 10 minutes. <laughs> just the whole boat is made of fuel. The economy on those engines is truly biblical. I mean, it is so bad. But they make. I think it is funny that they do all this like a single carburetor. So you see this like gigantic engine, and there's like one very inefficient, like maybe 400 cfm carburetor. Oh, it's fine. And yeah. that's why they made like 120 horsepower, and they made like 6,000 pound feet of torque. Hey man, and yeah. it probably runs rich because of the tiny carb too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's perfect for boost. An amazing machine. I absolutely love American V12. Also, they have like bevel drive cams and four valves per cylinder and like all the tech. And in then the World world's War II. worst, like updraft 
like Rochester carb. or something or other. No, not even that. Just be the worst like no name carb. It's just awful. So. <laughs> U.S. Army surplus part number AB one two eight. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, uh, what's that off of? I don't know. It's it's a carburetor. Is it put fuel into the engine? Yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Done. I will take it. Yeah. Will exactly. it adjust properly for altitude? Sure. Sure. All Why right. not? Okay. Cool. Done. That works. Um, All right. We're bookending this episode. Yes, we are. With basically the same thing, but this was like a week later. So, Hyundai's Ionic Six, the yes. like CLS looking thing we talked about in the last episode, they're already teasing the end version of that car, and it does look slightly better. That's cool. But this car, and they confirmed in the short video I watched, the Ionic 5N that's coming first and next year will also have it. They have a toggle in the infotainment which will shut off the front axle. So you can actually oh, drift wonderful. it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's great. So I'm, like I'm pretty stoked on that. That's the first thing I've really seen come out of an EV manufacturer that's enthusiast-centric. Uh, and, I mean, their entire video is the thing on the track, testing for handling and making sure it wouldn't overheat. So That's it wouldn't good. surprise me if that thing goes up Pike's Peak in a couple of years and is faster than a Plaid, because the Plaid keeps overheating its battery pack. Implying huh. it doesn't get stolen beforehand. Wait, yes. The Kia boys are in town. Yes. I they did like that article. It said, like, prior to 2021, Kias did not have immobilizers. So I'm like, that means 2022 and up they do. I mean, Maybe. they pretty much have to, because they pretty much won't be insurable at they, some point. I, so they do have an immobilizer, but the immobilizer is built into the ignition cylinder? Right. But, like... An actual immobilizer. Yeah, a separate immobilizer that you cannot bypass by running a wire across the battery. <laughs> How hot wiring somehow just like happened to continue due to some huge faux pas design by Hyundai Kia. Yeah, way to go, Hyundai Kind Kia. of amazing. But yeah, no, if the uh, Ionic 6N, in fact, that'd make it perfect for engine swap, you know, candidate. Yeah. It means the ECU, or motor control unit, won't even care if it's not in that car. So yeah, put that, I'm all right with that. Put that in my Tesla and actually drift it then. There you go. Which would well, be great. On that tremendous bombshell. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you next week.